You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. I'm joined today by Simon from Turf and Grain. Uh, welcome to the show, Simon. Thank you very much for having me on. Delighted that we could get a chance to talk. Um, so I've had the pleasure of both reading and holding your wonderful publication, but for those of us who haven't, a bit of insight into what you do? Yeah, sure. So I, um, as you said, I run Turf and Grain magazine. It's um, Ireland's largest independent magazine and it focuses on the stories, ideas and experiences of people working and living in Ireland. And I see that um, I was looking at your website earlier on and uh, I think you had one particular thing that really kind of struck with me and it was great and, and it kind of feels similar to something that I'm doing here. And I said that everyone has a story or thought to share, which I thought was great, which is, is very much the way I've approached this project as well. Maybe like, why, why, why did you start this project or what was your motivation or what brought you to who are you at? Um, it was a bit of a combination of things. I've always had an interest in, in publishing. Um, at university, I um, studied history and it was a really general degree and I didn't really know what I wanted to do afterwards. But in my second year, I realized that I'd always really enjoyed collecting and reading different types of publications, so books and magazines, and I decided that's really where I wanted to focus my my career. So I went over to London and I did a, a couple of internships over there, and they they were a really good experience. But ultimately, I ran out of money in London and came back to Belfast. But yeah, so after that, I need to get a job, so I became an accountant and I'm still an accountant. But then after about my second year of my training contract at one of the big four firms, I decided that. I'd given up a little bit too easily on my dream of, of working for a publication. So I decided, why not to make my own? And I just was really noticing at the time that people were really using like things like Facebook and Instagram to read their news. And like there's people, you could walk down the street and someone could tell you something that could really change your perspective on something. And I think the way people talk about Ireland is quite negative sometimes. So I kind of thought, why not go and make a project to show people that there's such great stuff out here in Ireland and get it from the horse. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, I think you've really hit a point there where there is so many interesting stories and so many interesting people within this small island. And yet we're probably always trying to reach the other side of the world and not realizing that maybe right around the corner there's someone who has something better for us than anyone else, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, we did the launch of our last issue in a place called Portview Trade Center in Belfast. And it was in the back, it was an old mill, which is, which was abandoned for about 20 years. And then. And recently they opened it up for artist studios. And in that mill, there's a world-class ceramicist, a world-class coffee roastery, a world-class brewery, and then tons of people like making jewelry and running social enterprises. And you, if you hear, if you told someone like that kind of space, they'd think you're in like Berlin or San Francisco, but you're in Belfast. Do you know what I mean? And people don't appreciate that that kind of stuff's there until you start looking for it. It's funny. It, it sounds in some ways to me similar to where we are in Connemara, where like, I don't think people have realized that very easily you could just like throw a stick and hit someone who's doing something amazing or making something or it's, it's, it's so odd until you start to actually look into these things. You don't realize how prevalent it is, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, I think that's one of the favorite things I've got about Turf and Grain. One of the biggest things I've, I've noticed since I started the project is, well, we, each of our, as you know, um, each of our issues has a theme. So the first mm. one was youth, the second one was the outdoors, the third issue was makers, and the fourth issue was women. When you say to someone, I'm making an issue on makers, they're like, oh, I know like 10 people you could, you should feature. And <laughs> it's, uh, you, you've got that too. So like since we, since we opened in Tree Bark, it's just like, oh, you know, this guy does this and this lady does this. And I'm like, oh my God, how, how was I not aware of this? Do you think that's something you noticed more since you started Tree Bark? Is it, 
now like oh. as you have your own space do you kind of become like a kind of a hub for that kind of discussion yeah I think so I mean I talked to Tori a local artist a couple of episodes back and she discussed how it was great to have a space locally where she's actually just by happenstance encountered more makers and creatives and I don't think we've done anything other than encourage the the mindset that here's a space that maybe if you want to come and show your product or maybe come and hang out or just whatever it may be that there's an encouragement there for it people are looking for those kind of spaces i feel they just haven't been given them which is a shame because i talked to someone earlier on today about like the instance of running your own business in ireland and the lack of support and it just feels like there's there's lots of great stuff that could be done here and is being done here that maybe we're not all aware of or we're not supporting because it's just so hard for those people to get their name out there and make people aware of them yeah i think it's a really big thing i think people talk about the great um, opportunities that social media gives you but then I think when everyone's on it as well there's pitfalls and the, the fact that you can be crowded out by all the stuff that's on there already so I suppose when you have a physical space like 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 the tree bark store it's a really great place to showcase all the work so like personally I know I'm really grateful that our, my, my publication can be in, in your space and people can just come in and see it because they might never find it online yeah, I mean, I think I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the first instance of me finding your, your magazine was, um, Coffee Work and Press in Galway. I know you have a list of stockists there on your site. I saw a few others that are familiar, but it definitely, to me, felt like it really fit in, in that kind of environment as well. But just even the name, actually, out of curiosity, Turf and Grain, was there a particular connection with that or, cause it, it has connotations to me in some ways. It makes sense for what you do. It feels right for it, but I, I couldn't say why, you know? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you said that, but, um, maybe, Maybe tell me what you think the connotations are, then I can let you know what the idea was. Yeah, I suppose maybe in some ways the, the kind of connection to the landscape of Ireland, the connection to the locality of it, and just kind of reconnecting with with what we're doing here on this island, to me, feels and like a, a historical aspect of the agricultural aspect of Ireland in some ways, or the ruralness, maybe. Uh, no, I could be completely wrong there, but that to me, that's what it feels like. Well, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I do get off often asks if it's an agricultural publication or something. I'm like, no, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not, not the, the farmer's journal. Like, But um, I think when, even when I come to come design the magazine, I just really wanted to feel familiar to people who like lived or worked or even visited Ireland. I kind of want like it to be familiar and to kind of evoke that kind of imagery. And I think turf is quite a very, it's a very strong image related to like agricultural, historical. Yeah, exactly as you described it. So that, that was really where, that came from because I was kind of just spitballing ideas and I was going to just go for turf, but then turf and green just seemed, this fit just came to me and it's kind of fit. And I think it's one of those things that's become, like, I think the magazine itself has fostered that image. It's kind of one of those things. That's, yeah. The, and the content, the content has helped reinforce the name. And, and given that, like, did you always have a direction for how you spoke about a theme for each issue had you given that kind of direction or had you just kind of seen where it went had you always wanted to do say an issue about makers an issue about youth an issue about women or did you just feel that that was the team you wanted to run with there and then or was that kind of is there a grand plan should we say there's there's definitely not a grand plan um i really just started i really just started youth because i i was really unhappy in, in my job as an accountant at the time i i I needed something else. I needed a creative outlet because I kind of felt like, oh, I give up so easily on the dream I had before. And after my first set of professional exams, I actually went to America and did an internship with a magazine called Kinfolk. And those guys. Oh, yes, did, I've seen them as well in a few locations. Yeah, those guys just really encouraged me to kind of start my own, my own project. And I knew youth, youth seemed right because I was so young. Like I was maybe 20, I was 25 at the time. It was all kind of, the issue was all about growing up and 
starting your own business and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of felt like a good place to start. And then it really just goes from there. I, I really, but, I, but what I've once kind of developed into is I try, I try to make the issues about things that people are talking about that aren't really getting like widespread media coverage. For example, the outdoors. Like I know the environment is definitely like a burning theme in the news at the moment. But I think in terms of like actually talking about it in a kind of more measured way, I think it's very like we're very reactionary in the way we we deal with news. And then makers mm. is the same. Makers is makers is really a magazine about consumerism and not knowing about where the products you buy come from. So I yeah. really just wanted to to feature fifteen different people who actually make something that yeah, and I don't know, like the yeah, no, that's just, I I feel that's that's quite strong as well because I think you're very much accurate in what you're saying there. It's like a lot of us feel this desire of connection to be back in the outdoors and doing stuff, but maybe the, the grow or the attraction of it is more powerful than the actual activity. You know, it's a lot of people thinking about doing it, but maybe discouraged. And then when they see, I think what definitely helps with your magazine is the absolutely the articles and the publication itself is beautiful, but it's married so well with such great photography that really captures the essence of what you're talking about. Like, how did you, did you know these people? Did you have a connection to them or did you just, I think I spoke with Dan and Zara in the last episode from Canada Coffee about how sometimes the subconscious desire of the people who are running a project kind of leads into the way it, it moves. Did you have a sense of who you wanted to work with beforehand or was that something that naturally developed across the course of, of finding the magazine, its voice? I think it kind of, <coughs> I think what happened, an issue too, I did a lot of the work myself and the reason I did that was because I, an issue one as well, I really wanted to kind of create a very strong creative direction for the publication that people could eventually come on board with and, and take ex- as an example. So issue two with the kind of more moody cover, you see Fergal Smith standing in a field, um, yeah. just misty, like kind of surveying his crop. And yeah, it's kind of set the tone for the rest of the magazine. And you can probably notice that the rest of our covers are quite atmospheric as well, but. It yes. really was just, it was a, de- it was a development of, of that style. And after I, I kind of latched onto it with issue two, I kind of then involved other people to help me with issue three because I realized that there's some really great people I wanted to work with and I really wanted to give an opportunity to. And I really wanted to like collaborate with them. So it was kind of like a mm-hmm. collaboration with them that ultimately gave it the style, which we really accomplished in issue three. And then I think fully developed on issue four, but it was, it's, in terms of the design, it is really just trying to create something that people can identify with. And I think if you're trying to take photographs of like the absolutely stunning natural setting of, of Ireland, you, you need to do it justice. And I think yeah. it can be really powerful. I definitely feel the early issues were fantastic, but la- the last issue, issue four, the, the women issue was, um, I believe it was Ruth that did some of the photography work for you in that one. That was just amazing. It's just the kind of magazine you just pick up and look through again and again. Like it's... It's got a bit of a atmosphere or feel to it. It's hard to define, but you know what it is as soon as you see it. Yeah, well, thanks very much. Um, I think that's exactly what we're, we're going for. I think the thing that I, I really appreciate so much about people who, who do read Turf and Green is that they, they tend to keep it. It's not the kind of magazine you, you put in the bin. It's the kind of magazine that will sit on your coffee table for a while. And I love seeing people read it. And I think another reason, another thing that really makes me happy is when the first thing that someone does when they pick up a magazine is they flick it and people just like, yeah can't stop picking it up and flicking it like if I'm sitting yeah. in a cafe where they have it people just like keep walking past and like picking it up flicking through it stopping it's really it's really cool but people like Ruth Ruth's a really good example and the magazine's a great vehicle for me to, to work with people that I find inspiring as well or if I really enjoy the work because it's been a really big learning process for me as well but then 
I was an admirer of Ruth's photography and she actually sent me like a portfolio in the post because she was interested in working with Turf and Grain and I was just absolutely delighted to work with her. So we actually went down and did that, the shoot, the, one of the shoots she did with Katie Sanderson in Dublin and it was great to kind of like direct her, but then also watch her exceed the expectations yeah. I had. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I, as just as you spoke there, you've described a phenomenon I've seen in our, in our space as well, where we have obviously a couple of issues for sale, but we leave some in the, the, rack, the rack at the door too. And I see people who've come in and just casually are waiting for their coffee. And then they actually pick up a magazine and they end up sitting down and actually reading it and hanging around, looking at it rather than actually just picking up their coffee and going. More than that, I think they just feel somewhat compelled to see what else is in there. Well, that's really, that's really great. I think, I do think that's the kind of the acid test for a magazine. The, the flickability, if you like, if you, yeah, pick it up the flickability the test. If you, you, you pick it up for the photos, but you stay for the text and each, yeah. each of the issues, like I think I really wanted to create a, a publication with, with substance. So the articles we put in so much effort into the, the words as well. It isn't just about the style. It's hopefully got a bit of substance to it as well. Where people yeah, about really the connect, content as well. Connect, connect with the issues. And yeah, so yeah. that's the aim anyway. And uh, as you said, you brought some people on board for the later issues. <laughs> Did you think setting out that the project was would be as comprehensive as that? I mean, had you thought this was something that would be... I suppose was it a surprise how much work was involved once you got down to it? No, because I had a bit of experience working in different like publishing houses, like I said, when I was in London for a little bit. And then also when I was had a brief time with Kinfolk, I also saw just how much work was involved. I don't think I appreciated it quite as much before I had those experiences. But then Turf and Grain really kind of started as my, my baby and I loved it. It was my it's my real passion project and when I do when I work on it, it doesn't really feel like work, I think. Yeah. The main thing that stressed me out was when I brought people on board that I wanted to give people like um, autonomy to be creative, but at the same time, it's really difficult to get like 30 people to stick to one kind of creative direction and something yeah. I really <laughs> had much experience of. So I think, yeah. I think we've managed to get there, but it's been a big learning curve for sure. And what about getting it out there in the world, getting people to like take it on board or to stock it? Was, was that something, I suppose once you have proof of concept and you had an issue out there, it was probably easy enough, but like beforehand... Had you started those conversations or was it very much like you waited had a product to deliver to show people? I really, I really didn't expect it to go the way it did. Um, like issue one, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's actually a bit of a different shape than issues two, three, and four. It's like a square. And I, the reason it's I haven't actually seen it because I know when we contacted you first, you're actually out of stock of one. So we, we have two, three, and four at the moment, but I'm hoping to snatch up one somewhere along the line if I can find it, you know? They're quite, um, they're quite hard to come by because I think people, I printed a thousand for the first issue and I didn't expect anyone to buy any of them because I didn't really have, I didn't really have a very big social media or anything or yeah, I just kind of went through word of mouth and that's the best thing about Ireland. I think in terms of word of mouth is still a thing here. If you can create a good it's product, quite powerful, people yeah. It, yeah, people will tell their friends or show them so and what happened was the thousand actually went incredibly quickly because people kind of identify with the project very quickly but if i tried to do that somewhere else if i tried to do that in like london or somewhere else it would never have got off the ground but the fact that i did that yeah. did it actually travel quite quickly but i was a bit embarrassed because it was it was almost a bit of a concept piece for me it was like a rough sketch of what it would become and then after that it was actually I suppose you quickly realized that it was actually <laughs> Yeah, but like you say, having having the first proof of concept out there, like like the second issue is much easier to get out there. But I, I do think it's it's hard, but I don't try and push it too hard. I'm not really 
a big fan of social media, if I'm honest. I try and do try. Well, I think regular. what you're doing is in some ways almost the antithesis of social media and that as you spoke about people are looking for their content and their news out there and they're not realizing that it's it's right around the corner so if you're giving them local stories of irish producers in a format that they can hold on to and appreciate and it's not as fleeting as social media that's that's actually fantastic really isn't it like yeah it is really funny i'm actually i'm giving a talk later in the month about uh, like a digital conference and at the start i was wondering why on earth did they invite me because like you say <laughs> i was like they're asking a guy who makes a print magazine to talk about like how he has embraced like digital in his business and I'm actually what I'm going to talk about I think is about how like it's so ironic that I created something to get people away from their screens and then it's as Turf and Green's going I spent more and more time like in front of a screen like trying to get it out there yeah so yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's really it's really funny <laughs> but it's kind of like I think I think social media is a great marketing tool I think I just try and speak with my own voice on the Turf and Green Instagram like I don't really use Facebook that much, but on Instagram, I only post when I have something to say. I try not... There's an honesty to it, which I I can appreciate because I I find that quite difficult myself as well. Like, I I feel like unless you have something worthwhile to say, it's hard to just be putting content out there in the world for the sake of it. And I think more and more people will begin to appreciate that it's okay for that online presence to reflect your identity because otherwise it seems like a bit of a falsehood if they interact with you in real life and what they're getting is not what they expected, you know? Yeah, I think that's such, that's something that must be so great for you. I think, like, do you, I think people, if they want to talk to you, they know exactly where they can find you. I'm not sure that's always a good thing, but, um, they can come into your store and, and, and they can, they can meet you and get an impression of you and you can develop a relationship. Whereas we don't have a physical space. We, people mostly interact with the person on their magazine either in a store when we're not, like, in another, one of our stockist mm. stores or, or online and, I think it's for me. It's a good, it's, it's a valuable marketing tool, but I don't want to really interact with it. Too oh, yeah, well, it's a that. dangerous spending too much of your time on there for for what really like. Now you know you you've definitely made a good point there too. Like having a bricks and mortar place, even for me for my photography work. I mean, you probably know that I use it as, as a bit of a workspace and a, and a studio yeah. space too. And it's funny how many people I've met who have a need for photography who I would never have found online, but once they physically see you in person, they're like, oh yeah, do you know what I need this or and again, Connemara full of creatives full of artists and makers who just need like good quality photos of their product but more than that the chance to actually get to know and meet people and even this this project the podcast we're working on now like i would never have met a lot of the people i've talked to already or had a chance to do this with them if we hadn't had the space you know it's there is something to be said even in this digital age for having an actual building where people can come to I think it gives people a sense of comfort or connection in some way i think i think you've made a really good point there about like connection. I think there's a bit of a shift now. It was maybe not there five or 10 years ago. And I think people are really searching when they're looking for products or experiences. They're really looking for like authenticity when they're, when they're buying stuff or when they're experiencing things. So people are increasingly looking to get to know the people behind products or have interactions with people that are, are meaningful. So I think having a bricks and mortar space like your own where people can come and, and, and meet you and get a feel for you before you maybe take their photos or talk them on a podcast yeah. or, or stock their product is, is a really great yeah. thing. There's a bit of fatigue with the digital age, I feel, in some ways. Well, it's coming on. It's coming very quickly, I think. And I already yeah. feel fatigued with it. And I'm meant to be the kind of age of person that's nonstop on it. So Yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good demonstration of the fact that, like, you know, people say that print media is not something that's active anymore, but it just shows you that, like, it's not that print media isn't active anymore. If you give people the right 
quality of content and something they're interested in then yes they'll have it because they'll always have a desire to have a physical product it's just they want something that kind of speaks to them rather than just there's so much noise out there in the digital age that if you're going to print something it needs to be unique and powerful and strong and that's pretty much in my mind what you're giving them it's something they can feel a connection to something they want to be a part of you know yeah i think so too um i think especially with my project like what what i'm really trying to do with different grain is to like talk about these themes like i said that people are maybe thinking about in their own heads but not really exploring too deeply or like talking about with other people or really exploring so what i'm really trying to do is capture these themes and like this kind of cultural moment that we're experiencing at the moment where people are obsessed with like digital and people are trying to reorganize their lives around being more environmentally friendly and more like socially accepting and those are things that mm. we try to actively capture and the idea is that like you can if you keep like the full set of turf and green magazines and you keep them for a while because they'll sit in your bookshelf but you'll kind of have like a mini time capsule of what it's like to live in this kind of time i like that idea and um if, did you if i'm not mistaken you managed to win an award for yourself not that long ago would that be right yeah we we won um an award for the best printed magazine in ireland which is really massive seeing that i started the, the project in my bedroom in my pajamas one night on a wedding so <laughs> it's come a long way and yeah. as all good projects begin but i think the biggest like that was recognition is really great but and i know that sounds like a cliche thing to say but i think really the thing i'm, I'm most proud of with the project is like developing like a relationship with with stockists across ireland we have a really good network of people that run their own businesses that we can like work with and i try to have as good a relationship as possible with all those guys because it's really it's really flattering that they'd take a chance on, on, our, on our project to, to work with us and yeah i don't like i i put up a post recently because we got into a, a really great location in new york to have us as a stockist but then i said in that post on, on instagram that like i think that the most important network i have is the network of people who stock the magazine in ireland because it's such a like this project is for people here to make them appreciate this place and the people around them and i don't know i i think maybe it might be a cultural thing between northern ireland and the republic of ireland but people in northern ireland are very jaded like politically and socially a little bit so everyone's can be really quick to revert to to negativity quite quickly so having like positive media even in a small way like people have told me that really has made them change their perspective on on like Belfast and Northern Ireland anyway so i think that's the kind of things that i really take most pride yeah. from but uh, yeah that's actually funny enough i think it's the second time you've mentioned that kind of desire to combat the negativeness in, in irish society given that as well like do you find that when you brought people on board the project that they were like excited to work in it because it gave them a chance to have an outlet for positivity? I think one of the biggest things I noticed when I started taking on the project was that like, well, the creative, the creative sector in, in Northern in Belfast is, has come on a long way, even in like the last 10 years. We're talking like since like we're now in a post-conflict era in Northern Ireland and everything has changed since the early 90s and it's a very different place than it was then even in the last five or ten years there's a much bigger creative scene where people who would normally have maybe left to pursue creating their own business or working as a freelance creative have actually decided to put their roots down in belfast but 
there's still like it's still really growing so I, I found myself working with a lot of people who had maybe been like a little bit exploited because they had these skills but like there's no real respect for them so for example one of my friends did a lot of branding for a cafe in Belfast but uh, after about a year of working there she never got like paid for it she was like well she worked as a brister in the cafe too and they kind of exploited her a wee bit and she was mm-hmm. one of our one of our illustrators, and then a lot of photographers who I actually give them like their first paid job and stuff. And I do make a real point of paying everyone who's part of the project fairly. Yeah, because you want to yeah. like I'm not like if you're talking about combating negativity, the people who are actually combating negativity are the people who are like deciding to make like Northern Ireland their home and their place of work despite the odds. Like the people who are starting their creative business in a place where it wasn't previously possible to do so. I'm just like giving them a platform to talk about it. Like the people in the magazine are really the people that are, are making a difference. I'm just showcasing what they do and not, do you know, do you know what I mean? And that's a great thing because society where you are is developing to a stage where as you said there wasn't an opportunity or an outlet before. It was just more about like day to day as opposed to the freedom of creativity. And it takes a while to make that transition. And maybe some of the old mindsets still hang around, especially as you said about actually paying people for creative work. That's um yeah, no, that's that's a powerful motivator in fairness. I think it's really funny because my, my dad actually said to me when I started the project, he was like, Oh yeah, like photography, like who who have you got doing your photos? Like just like people who do it like as a hobby, like almost as if to say like being a photographer is not a real how, job. how could that be a career? It's not it's not like it's not like <laughs> real work because you don't really get your hands dirty and I just like I just said, like I just said you don't have a clue, like um, so I think that's one of the big motivators for that makers issue to show people who have like a creative business work have to work so hard to make yeah. it like come to fruition. It's a funny one because I've I've had the experience of working in a lot of different industries, like my current work, obviously day to day and tree work and stuff, but I do a lot of photography work as well. And yeah. I do an element of wedding photography, but I only tend to work with couples I feel like I'll connect with, but they're still long, draining days. And I don't think people really understand how tiring that can be. Because with any creative project, and especially with anything where there's a level of emotion involved, I find that for me, the next day after a wedding, I'm not just physically tired, but I've, I've given so much of myself in, in positivity and energy as well in the day before that like you're just almost sem- somewhat distraught the day after, you know? Yeah, I'm sure for you as well, like you must, it, it must be hard just to kind of turn the tap on and off with that, do you know what I mean? Like, and to be always in the zone for that is that is that something you find difficult like or yeah i mean i think nine years of hospitality has given me an ability to turn a persona as such on and off not that it's it's you know not real but like when you go to a wedding you just have to get yourself into that mindset of positivity and um i did a wedding two weeks ago i spent three days with uh absolutely wonderful couple really nice people lovely people there are he was irish he was indian so they're doing the traditional ceremonies in Everton. It was an amazing experience and I loved every minute of it, but three days of being at full tilt, physically, mentally, emotionally, the day afterwards, it was just like, it was, it was hard, you know, you're almost like you have to dial back into a different mindset and you're just like switching it off. And also like, you know, I'd given over so much of myself. I wasn't sure I could even deal with talking to a member of the public the next day, you know? <laughs> And I'm sure in tree bark as well. I think people have loads of have the very romantic idea that running running a coffee shop would be like really amazing. But I think yeah. they forget people 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 have to stand there for eight hours a day every day. And I don't know. I've never done that, but I'm sure I'm sure the novelty might wear off quite quickly. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I spent the bones of 10 years now working in front-facing hospitality. We had a restaurant for, for nine years before we opened Treebark and it was great and I loved it. But yeah, I, I don't think people have an appreciation for just how tiring it would be, especially in, in restaurant service and probably in retail to some aspect too. It's like a large part of your day is just spent pretty much standing around interacting with people. And I know that sounds ridiculous to anyone who may work in a physical aspect, but constant interaction with people all day long while it's great and it's so interesting and exciting and you get to know people and you meet new people all the time, it's massively draining in a way that for someone who hasn't done it, I don't think they can quite appreciate. No, of course. It's it's massive. Like I think you talk about like the emotional energy and I've I think as you know, my the publication Turf and Green is, is is biannual and there's actually no set publication schedule. We've just kind of turned up to do two a year, but the reason for such a long break it's partly like it's partly the fact that my creative energy just literally goes away for about two yeah. months after I'm finished. Yeah, I, can, yeah. I can hardly, I can barely function like creatively. I just literally like turn that part of me off for a couple of months because it's used up, and I think I, it's crazy. It, I think that is a common theme though when you speak to artists of like you know big creative projects, and especially when it's so definable in your regard, where you have something that you're painting or writing. It's it's literally this needs to get out there and once it's finished, it's finished. And then I'd say once it is done, there's that sense of both relief and also like not quite disappointment, but like a little underwhelming, shall we say, where like it's out there and then you go, oh my God, I need to go and do it again. You know? I really actually, as soon as I release one, I think I've been quoted for saying after I've done each one, okay, like that's the last one. Like I'll do it again. Because <laughs> it really, it takes, it takes, well, it's more like my, I literally when I'm finished, it really takes, it really takes it out of me, like big time, like I'm exhausted and it's really good though. I think it's like a real relief and I just love to see people reading it. So it's something that's been on my, normally on my computer and like in the process of being designed for about two or three months before it's released and to actually get it out there and having the, the day when you pick it up from the printers is actually a very emotional, emotional day. So yeah, it's, it's great, but I, um, I find it easier each time as opposed to getting more difficult I think getting the first couple out was really a big challenge but now I, I've kind of a bit more controlling but I think the problem for me is I rushed we ended up rushing to release the third and fourth issue because the magazine takes actually it takes a very long time at the printers yeah. something I didn't really appreciate so I actually had launch parties arranged for both issue three and issue four that had to be rescheduled because something went wrong at the printers like nothing like yeah. nothing technical and the guys there our printers really amazing but it just took a little bit longer than expected and just was I think when you're trying to create a project which is kind of meant to be a bit, like, a bit more slow and thoughtful and meaningful when you end up rushing it that way at the end I think it just adds that like slight underwhelming sensation you discussed and so what's your time frame do you reckon for the next issue or what are you thinking at the moment I spoke like I the way the only people that work on the magazine like kind of all the time is myself and then my my partner Rachel who kind of starts she started by doing a bit of illustration in the second issue before like writing a bit for the third issue and then helping me edit the third issue and then helping edit the fourth issues and now she has the most important job of all where if I ever have any creative ideas she's the person I run it past and she tells me if it's nonsense or not so. <laughs> She's become a very crucial part of the machine. So I sat down and discussed it with you, her. You definitely need someone like that in your life, in fairness. Well, I think the, the quality of the magazine has jumped noticeably since she started doing that. So it's, it's really good to have someone who just can kind of channel, channel your thoughts. It's really, yeah. it's not, it's really constructive and she's really, really good. Um, 
We've started working on issue five, but the way we want to do it is because I was so frustrated with issue four, the way we had to rush at the end. It, mm. It's not. It's meant to be fun, and it's meant to be really positive well, experience, cons- positive and considered. And I, I truly didn't enjoy issue four at the end. I really just wanted it to be finished and out there. And I think that's why I took. I've been taking such a long break from it now. It's four months, and we've only started, but we have started issue five. But the way we're going to do it is a lot more slowly and a bit more considered. So we're not going to make. I have like a very loose kind of overarching plan for it, but we're going to do each article at a time. Make sure the photos are right and the words are right, and then kind of feel out where we want to go next. Because Rachel made a really good point to me. Like I'm not sure if you've seen on social media, but the the theme of our our next issue is going to be migration, which is again one of those topics I think people are looking at the facts or getting really interested in certain statistics or certain issues around migration. But really, it's a very yeah. like emotional part of our culture and society, and especially in yeah, Ireland, yeah. I think there's a real historical connotation to to migration. And yeah, we want to we want to get it right. So I think it's going to be a real a real learning process. Like well, I suppose it's a it's an issue that's essentially about people, so you probably want to do it justice and fairness, you know? Yeah, but I think it's more like um, women was, I think we did a good job of it. Like we, for example, when women came out, it came out at a time where people were very caught up on the Eighth Amendment and we just wanted to go and talk to women with no agenda. Like if they wanted to talk about any like issues that were like important to them, they could, they totally could have the space and we, would, we, we wouldn't edit anything out ever. At the same time, we didn't go chasing issues because that's what you get on Facebook, that's what you get on BBC News, that's what you get on RTE, you get the issues which people get really caught up on, but you forget behind these statistics and things that people are sensationalizing in the media, that there's just real people who are just like living their life every day. And doing their thing, yeah. Yeah, and that's what we really want to, we want to get. So I think, especially with migration, there's so much like, there's so much like hatred out there at the moment for people who, who move, but it's not really about, the issue is going to be about people from Ireland who have left and come back and the perspective on, on Ireland and people who have maybe moved north to south due to some like conflict or people who have moved from like Dublin out to somewhere rural to kind of explore a new life away from the city and, it's really everything that you can talk about when it comes to migration. It's not immigration. It's not. So it's more different. migration on like a more microcosm kind of scale within the island of Ireland as such, is it? Completely. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's really it. But for example, like we, we have plans to talk to people who, who have come to Ireland as, as refugees. And I think that's just going to be a really humbling experience to, to talk to them and learn from them and sensitively represent their issue. And, I think, it's really, I think it's really, yeah. I think it's really important that people get to read about it in a really measured human way, as opposed to just reading about figures of how many people have moved to Ireland in the news. Because people don't get to have that interaction with them. I mean, I know for me, I'm lucky enough that my previous business, I would have had, um, we were an Asian food restaurant. My wife's from Hong Kong originally. So we would have had a lot of staff that worked with us that would have been on working holiday visas or moved from abroad or so forth. And I know we had one or two young men that worked for us that were actually from Afghanistan and, uh, they had lived in Ireland for a good few years. And to tell, to hear them tell their story and what they'd gone through, I would challenge anyone to talk to these young men who are wonderful people, really good, hardworking, honest, decent young men and still feel the way that they do about like migrants. It's just. It's ridiculous the things that we may be complaining about in this country when you've had a chance to have a bit of an opportunity and insight into what goes on in other people's lives. It's It really is, you know? I think that's exactly what we're going to try and do. We're just going to try and make it really 
human and give people an opportunity just to speak about their lives. And again, it's not just people who've come from different countries, it's people who have moved from Ireland and come back. Because I think Turf and Green is going to finally come full circle of this issue. And I think the whole project, like I said earlier, is trying to like capture this cultural moment. But I think with migration, what you're really going to end up talking about is what is Ireland like as a place to live and culturally and socially? Who are the Irish, I suppose, in some ways? Totally. And that's, that is so fascinating for me. And who, who are we and what, what do we stand for really? And I think that's really what I'm, I'm looking to capture. Yeah. That, that sounds like a, an issue I'm really looking forward to. Thanks. Um, no, that's great. I can't wait. From a, a housekeeping point of view, cause I, I just been looking at the clock there and realized we've been talking for quite a while. Um, plans going forward, anything else you want to talk about or anything else you can talk about? Um, yeah, well, actually, before before issue five comes out, there's a podcast that we're making. It's going to be released maybe next month. And it's about mm. people who identify as being Northern Irish, like as a national identity as opposed to British or Irish. It's, again, okay. something that people people really are thinking about or have always said they felt that way, but we don't really talk about it in Northern Ireland because yeah. I think... It has such a massive connotation and just varying connotations depending on the community background. So I really just, I'm going to do a podcast on, I've interviewed 15 people and we're just going to talk about it with no agenda really. So yeah, that's probably the next project and it's kind of like a mini issue, but it's not going to be print. Yeah. It's going to be audio because I kind of felt when it came to something like that, people should get the chance to use their own voice and I wanted to experiment with that. So we're going to, we're going to make a podcast and we're going to release issue five after that, but the work has kind of begin on, begun on that too. Yeah, no, that's great because I think with that being such a kind of powerful and emotional issue, sometimes it, a chance for people to relay in voice and in conversation will, will be a better delivery. And like I think, and, um, I think that's why people love podcasts like like yours. I think hearing something from the horse's mouth is really powerful. And what made you, if you're out of interest, what made you want to, to, to do this? Podcast? Yeah. I, you know, I've always been a fan of podcasts and I've listened to them from, oh, for quite a long time, from since they were not even a phenomenon, a good few years. And I always found that element of conversation quite interesting. And I, I think I'm someone who I hadn't realized, but, um, I really found my home in hospitality. I'm, I'm a bit of a talker in case you hadn't noticed, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm comfortable with it. I'm good with it. And that's fine. But, um, I worked on a personal project about two years ago called Art of the Craft. It was something I worked on for my own photography. I was always working in the commercial and wedding space and portrait space. And I wanted to get out of that. So I went off and put myself into an environment where I had to photograph people who were makers and doing something creative and uh, spend a lot of time with people who bakers and chefs and ring makers and all sorts of stuff. And while I was photographing them, we were, we were talking about them, them and their background and what they did. And I'm quite good at remembering stuff. So I would usually write the article from memory or maybe transcribe some notes. And what happened then was the deeper I got into the project, the more time I started to spend with these people. And I was like, Christ, I, I can't really remember all this. So I just started to pop a little recorder in my pocket and record the conversations for my own notes. And uh, what happened was I found that, yes, the, the photos I w- was quite happy with. And obviously the notes were good and you could write an article, but the article never quite conveyed the sense of what we spoke about. And it, as I listened back to the recorder and listened to the notes, I realized actually this right here, this is the good stuff conversation without an agenda, the interaction between me and someone telling me about what they love and what they do I had such a, such a sense of honesty that I was like, this feels like what I should be doing rather than anything else, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's a little bit more spontaneous, I think. People can kind of give and take or chip in when they want to. And I find that as well. I I always would have recorded my my interviews, but I always find after I've, I've recorded them and listening back to them that 
like there's another question. Like I always have kind of think of another question yeah. again because it's yeah. kind of like you're you want to kind of relive the conversation from a third person perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like you kind of wish you'd been outside the conversation and been able to ask them a question, you know? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I think uh, we might we're hitting the we're hitting the forty five minute mark, so we'll, we might do a, a few quick shout outs. Anyone in particular that you want to give a bit of a thanks to or a mention to, who's been other than um, your your partner, who's been a big help along the way? Well, you can include your partner obviously as well. But well, she she's definitely been the biggest help, but. Um... I would like to just give a big shout out to everyone who's been a part of the project in, in any way, I suppose, that can, that's, that's our contributors and everyone who's written or taken photos or illustrated or given me tips on design and those guys, but then also, um, just all the network of stockists. Like it's, it's just, it's really reassuring to know that people care enough about your project to like have it in their space. And yeah, that's, that's really it. I just am so grateful to, to everyone who's been a part of it, if you've if you bought it, if you've stopped it, if you've been part of it, or even if you just give it to one of your friends, is it like to lend it to them or something? Like I'm, I'm just grateful that people actually care at all. I think you you're definitely creating a project that people can absolutely get behind and uh, feel a connection to. Yeah, I'm actually just I'm, I'm browsing your site where we talk, and there's probably too many stockists to mention here. But I guess I'm looking at I see Root and Branches here, Coffee Work and Press, Maven, a whole other bunch of people. Uh, I know that we have a couple of issues ourselves. We've issued two, three, and four. If someone wants to pick up a copy uh, through your website, I think they can get issue three and four at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, we're out of issue two at the moment, and we're quickly running out of issue three. So, yeah, we ship worldwide from our website, www.turfandgreen.com. Okay, and then any other links? As much as we might not like social media, I suppose, no harm. You're on Instagram, I believe, as well? We're on Instagram and Facebook, but I wouldn't bother with the Facebook. Just go to Instagram. It's really where I would interact most, and... Look, it's just one of the, I just use, I just use it to give people news on, on the project. It's not going to be one of those accounts where I like repost pictures and stuff. It's just like, ah, yeah, if, yeah. If, there's, if there's news about Token Grain, it'll be up there. Great. Uh, Simon, anything else you want to touch on? Anything else you want to say before we finish up or? Just thank you very much to yourself just for being a supporter of the project and, and stalking it and having interest in it and inviting me to talk to you. It's been, it's been really great just to have a chat and shoot the breeze. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that chat. Uh, Simon, I look forward to your next issue. Sounds like a great project. And uh, we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jeff. Okay, folks. Thanks for tuning in. That was today's episode of Creative Voices. We look forward to you joining us next week. Thanks for listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by Treebark Store and produced by P2B Photography. For more information, find us on Instagram, treebark.store or at p3b underscore photos. You can visit our website, treebarkstore.com or p3bphotography.com. Thanks again and catch you on the next episode.